Welcome to the C3 Church Watson podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Why don't you give your, your senior pastor a round of applause? <clears throat> Uh, before I sh- share with you, I will. I do want to um, encourage you by uh, telling you a couple stories, <coughs> which are not stories. They're, they're well, they're stories, but they're real. So, uh, as Mel said, um, <coughs> I, I work in some very unusual places. I don't know how on earth I ended up there. God will always do more than you can imagine, and sometimes uh, things you end up places where you think, "What on earth am I doing here?" So we've planted churches in Iraq, um, Syria, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, uh, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan, and any other stan, <laughs> Pakistan, <coughs> Bangladesh, um, Indonesia, Japan, uh, New Zealand, Australia, of course, Serbia, Siberia, um, southern Italy, Egypt, Morocco, um, and all from zero. But the most, a couple of them that are just outstanding and just staggering is our church plant, one of our church plants. Uh, his name is Ali Muhammad, a very Christian name. <laughs> <coughs> Ali Muhammad came to faith through our team when we planted in Baghdad. Ali Muhammad was an imam and a mullah for ISIS. So he was the one who trained ISIS in their beliefs. His brother, two of his brothers were successful suicide bombers that blew themselves to hell, literally. Uh, this year I was with them, I'm with them a couple of times. Uh, I have to carry money because you can't transfer money. It's all okay, it's all approved by the Australian government, Austrac. Problem is, it's not approved that end. So it's quite challenging. Ali Muhammad. Um, he's just so in love with being part of C3. And um, the thing about Ali Muhammad, which is just really exceptional, is his whole family. Uh, he lives right on the border of North, <coughs> right on the border of Iraq and uh, Iran. And um, his daughter, he has four children. His two daughters, one's 17, one is 15. They both speak English perfectly. I use his daughter as my interpreter and she's the best, I would say she's equal to the best interpreter I've used anywhere in the world. She's 17, she learnt the language of cartoons. (laughs) In that area there are 6 million people that speak a particular dialect that is part of North Iraq and into Iran, Harami. There are 6 million They've never heard the name of Jesus. Well, they've heard it through the the Quran, but they've never heard the gospel preached. There's no Bible in their language at all. So this 17-year-old girl and her dad, so he doesn't speak English that well. She speaks English exceptional. So she's got a Bible, English Bible. She's been translating it into Harami. They've completely uh, translated the New Testament to reach a group of six million that have never heard the gospel. 
That's pretty jolly impressive. I'll tell you just another story. Um, uh, one of our guys who's in Tajikistan, planted a church in Tajikistan, um, <coughs> the radicals crossed the border from Afghanistan, it borders Afghanistan. They found where they were meeting. It was early in the morning, they were praying. They had six um, people that are related to a branch of Al-Qaeda, kicked in the door, they had their machine guns, grabbed him, threw him to the ground, scotch taped his hands, pulled out a sword, put the, you know, the, the flag for the propaganda in the back, had the video camera ready to film him and had the knife at his throat. They were about to draw the knife and a voice from heaven said, stand up and pray in tongues. So he stood up, prayed in tongues, Shandakara Shakarabati. They all fell over and started shooting their automatic rifles in the world, in the air, and they all shot each other. This is not myth. I've got it on my phone, and I've interviewed him and blurred his face out. It's true. I can tell you story after story. Last time I was at Ali Muhammad. This year it was not that long ago. We baptized 16 Muslim converts. 16 and when every single one of them came out of the water they exploded in tongues <laughs> we have a single woman who planted a church on the border of uzbekistan and in, in um, um, uzbekistan and kyrgyzstan in a place where you get killed if you're a christian she's only been out there for about six months she has 60 in the church already we have another man in another place. He's got seven children under 10 and uh, no car. So we're trying to get him a car. Well, he's got a car, but it's, we need to get him a car. He's now planted two churches in about eight months. These are gutsy people, so they remind me of the reality of Christ. Like, really, these are amazing. So, now I've got to tell you, their reality is different to your reality and my reality. Same devil. Different mode. Okay. If they were living here and we were living there, the Holy Spirit would be doing things. So you and I need to remind ourselves that the Jesus that is doing miracles in places like that, giving incredible courage, is the same Jesus that's at work in us. And we need to get ourselves unstuck so that we can move forward and carry the gospel so that we can penetrate a place like that, like, like Australia. We want miracles, not pretend. We want big miracles. We want hearts changed and we want to see real healings and real stuff. Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray for our Prime Minister who is, is a born-again Christian filled with the Spirit and speaks in tongues who studied at the same place that Eugene Peterson was, Regent. So he's a real deal believer. We pray that you give him wisdom and Lord, we pray for the other side. We pray for all sides of our politicians, whether they're liberal or labour. If their actually hearts are for Christ, we pray, Lord, that you give them an ear to hear. Open the, the, the heavens over our nation. And this is the seat of, spirit, of authority in our nation. And so I pray, Father, for C3 Watson, that you would give them the oomph 
that you would get them front-footed. They're already front-footed. But Lord, do amazing things through this church. You've called them to be here. And stuff is happening. And so just position us to pray. Father, today we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Your word, your scripture, Lord. One word from you, from your scripture, from your God-breathed word changes everything. And so Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Give us tools and ways of moving forward. Make us bigger people for your sake. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Uh, a number of years ago, um, our first car that my wife and I had, we had for quite some time. Um, and do you know when you go from three children to four? It's a great blessing. And then all of a sudden you have this shock feeling. What? They don't make cars for six people, only five. <laughs> Bring back the old bench seat, I say. And so I go, oh, what are we going to do? We had a Commodore station wagon. So we had to put a little dicky seat in the back. But what is it with kids today? They're so jolly long. <laughs> so the dicky seat didn't last very long. So we bought a Hyundai Santa Fe because of the back row. It was, and we could move the other row forward. And, but one of the benefits was they said it was an SUV which I now know means a stupid, useless vehicle. <laughs> <coughs> and uh, so, but, you know, I was pretty excited. It was four-wheel drive, supposedly, and it had a diff lock, which meant you could kind of, all the ads said you could take it on the sand dunes and, you know, and... You've got the happy photos of the family and all that stuff. And, oh, this is pretty cool. So we were on holidays and uh, we'd been down a couple tracks, which were, you know, the normal cars couldn't get through. I thought, oh, this is really cool. This is really, you know, put the diff lock on and locks it in. It's like a real four-wheel drive because that's what the salesman tell you. So anyway, uh, after the kids and uh, I like to fish and I thought, oh, there's this beach. And I, I know I've got to go down the tracks, and, but I'll go by myself because when I go fishing, I go for a long time. I'm an introvert. <coughs> so a good day fishing for me is like nine hours, no food, no water, and no fish. That, I love it. <laughs> Just me. And silence. So the kids don't enjoy that. So I go down this track, and, and um, I... I get down the track, I do the diff lock, it's awesome, down this really track, and then I get to this flat bit and it's got two tracks, sand. One is cut up, it's really cut up, really, really bad, and I think that is the hard road. I'm not going the hard road, that looks too wild. And then there's this easy road. It looks like an easy road. It, it's obviously somebody's been on it, but... They were on it a long time ago because the sand had blown over the tracks, whereas the other one was all cut up. And I thought, I'll take the easy road. So off I go on the easy road in my four-wheel drive, <laughs> off-road, <laughs> stupid utility vehicle, and I get across the hump and the car goes, 
down and I think, flip, I'm bogged. So I try to reverse out, I can't go back, so I go forward and the, you know those new cars, they've got that front bit that looks all nice and funky, but it works as a snowplow. <laughs> so by the time I'd had a few goes at it, I've got this big mound of sand in front of me and I'm now down to the axles. In fact, one of the wheels wasn't even touching the ground anymore. I'd kicked that much sand out of it. And I don't have mobile phone signal. I'm stuck. <laughs> I'm really stuck. Do you know in life, if you take the, what think you think is the easy road, sometimes you'll get stuck. The other thing that I... I'd seen all these cars go down this rough road and their tyres were all flat. So I'm not doing that because I'm following the, I'm conforming to the pattern that is on my door. And it says you've got to have so many PSI in your wheels. Now I know for you four-wheel drivers you're thinking, what a moron. It's okay. I realise I'm a moron now. <laughs> but I'm a quick learner. So they got the I'm not going to let my tyres down because I'm sticking to the pattern that I need to conform to. Because so I'm bogged, really bogged. I have to walk three hours out of a track. I've got to find someone. So I find a guy who's got a, um, like a, a service station, caravan park kind of combo. He asked me some questions. I'm really embarrassed. He says, uh, what's your vehicle? <laughs> a Hyundai Santa Fe. He says, What? That's not a real four-wheel drive. That's one of those stupid, useless vehicles. I said, but, yeah, but can you help me? He said, oh, flipping out. You know, he's got all this. He said, okay, all right, but it's going to cost you. I said, how much? He said, 500 bucks. I have no option at all, none. So he gets down there with the tractor. He's got a tractor. So he gets down there and he says, uh, man, you're in big strife. He said, you, 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 there's no, there's no clearance. You're down onto the chassis. You're stuck. You're well and truly stuck. He said, yes, I know. <laughs> this is humiliating enough. He said, well, <clears throat> you're going to have to get some clearance. Unless we get some clearance, you're not going anywhere. Do you know in life, when you get stuck, unless you get clearance and some buoyancy, you'll never move. It's really important. And I said, well, what? He said, uh, have you got a shovel? I don't have a shovel. He says, well, you're going to have to get down on your hands and knees and dig. Well, he had a shovel. So he used the shovel on his side and I think he was, uh, here. I'm on my hands and knees. I was exhausted trying to get some clearance. You know, in life, we can get stuck because, one, we try to go the easy route. Do you know the truth of it? He said, why didn't you go on that track? He says, obviously, that's the track that people drive on. Why did you go on that one? I said, that one looked easier. Ah, life is deceptive. He said, you know, the easy route is never the easy route. 
You and I can get stuck in life because we choose what seems to be easy. But sometimes the way to get unstuck is to go that which is less comfortable. And then he said to me, why, why on earth didn't you let the air down on your tyres? I said, well, on here, it says this is on the door here. You know, the manufacturer's design, the pattern you're supposed to conform to. He said, is it? Anyway, I won't tell you what he said. <coughs> Sometimes we have to actually break with the pattern of which is placed upon us and the expectation that we place upon ourselves and we've actually got to do something that's a little out of the ordinary. Now, I'm going to ask, I'm going to give you three questions that I have been asking myself since April. And these three questions came via reading um, a, a different kind of book, not the Bible. Um, but I heard a, somebody talk about it as well and it really stuck to me. And so I'm working through these three questions myself. Because I do a whole lot of stuff and sometimes even good stuff can get you stuck. So I'm going to give you three questions that I myself am working through that I'm finding challenging and helpful to get unstuck, if that's okay. But before we go there, I want to go to the scriptures and anchor us in the word of God. So we're going to go to Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, a passage that will be familiar to some of you or many of you. So Romans 12, 1 to 2, I'm reading out of the NIV. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of, the, of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's perfect and and will is. In this passage, it says that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, before I jump there, there's a, pa a phrase there that says, this is your spiritual act. Well, that word spiritual act, it's not really spiritual. It's, it's a little difficult to translate, but it's a composite word. It means well to please. In fact, some of the more word-for-word -word translations will translate that word reasonable or rational. What it's saying is that actually we need to offer our bodies to God everything we do, not just hands up in a church service, but everything we do to please God. We've got to, and that's reasonable. And we, we are called to live, we're called to offer God a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. I see a lot of Christians and they look like dead. God doesn't ask you to offer a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Now Paul is using a metaphor and he's stretching the metaphor. He's using a term sacrifice which both Jews and Greeks understood. But a sacrifice that he, that the Jews understood is dead. Once you offer it, it's dead. The problem with a living sacrifice is always trying to crawl off the altar. And the stretching of the metaphor is to convey continuity. 
offer your bodies as living. It's a living sacrifice. It's alive. Now, the same word living or life, that same word is used in Matthew 4, 4. I think we've got that there. <coughs> uh, the way that the NLT, or that's, that, that'll do. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word live, man does not live. That word live is the same word as living sacrifice. It's about that which creates life in you. Like you don't live, you're not alive just because of what you eat. There are people that are like dead people walking. They have everything to meet their practical and physical needs, but they are dead. We need to understand for us to get unstuck, we need to have some clearance. I wasn't getting that vehicle unstuck until I got clearance between the dirt and the bottom of the car. Some of us live with no margin. So we're dragging ourselves along in the dirt. And some of it is unintentional. A lot of it's unintentional. I didn't intend to get bogged. Many of you will get stuck, and I've been stuck in life, not because I intended to. Sometimes I got stuck in life because I thought that looks like the easier route. I was afraid to go that route. I was afraid that I wouldn't be capable. I was afraid that I... I wouldn't handle it. I was afraid. So I went the easy route. But often the easy route, the expedient route, is the route that will get us stuck. So there's subtleties here. And it says, Paul says, offer a living sacrifice. That which actually is living is something that, or that which makes us live a full life, are the things that actually will bring life to your soul that you can, with all good conscience and confidence, thank God for them. So there are some things in life that you can't, in all good conscience, thank God for because you know that they're destroying your soul. E.g., I cannot watch a horror movie and think that is godly and pleasing. I'm sorry if I'm, you know, I can't be involved in Halloween just because the Americans are. There's a whole stack of things I can't be involved in because in conscience, I can't thank God for horror. Can you thank God for horror in your conscience? Can you thank God for grotesque sexual images? Can you thank God for touched up images that make women look unreal? And I mean unreal. There's a whole stack of things that in conscience we can't offer God and they don't give us life. If you're sitting playing a computer game for hours and you're blowing people up and doing all that stuff, in conscience you can't offer that to God and say, isn't this awesome? Not in conscience, I don't think you can. I know this might sound a tad radical. 
Whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is excellent, think upon these things. And then peace comes. We get stuck because we get involved in a whole lot of activities that might seem neutral. And it's easy to follow the trend. It's easy to go the road that looks... But this is this living sacrifice. So here's the first question. Number one. What do you need to keep doing that brings life to your soul that you can thank God for? Like, maybe it's as simple as taking time out with your husband or your wife to go for a quiet walk. Maybe it's you playing tennis. Maybe it's you painting that gives life to your soul. Because we need to get clearance. You can't get unstuck unless there's buoyancy. It could be running. It could be taking time to serve somebody. I, I, I like it when I'm not so busy that I can actually help an older person. I'm an introvert, so I like to fish, but occasionally I really like to fish with the old blokes, the grumpy old blokes. I just love it. They're so grumpy. And they're peculiar. And I love to hear their stories. But my life is so busy I don't get time to do that. That's good for my soul. So what is it that you have to keep doing that actually is good and that you can offer to God. The passage goes on to say, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. So the second question we need to ask ourselves, what do we need to say no to? And what do we need to stop doing? Now, I think it's easier to say yes than it is to say no. But I want to put a, a spin on this. You know, I got, I got bogged because I was so concerned about the pattern, the right conformity of the tyres, that if I'd actually watched and learnt, I would have let the tyres down to 18 pounds per square, whatever the pressure is, PSI or whatever they call it. Some of you will know better than me. <coughs> Normally you run at, <coughs> what is it, 30, 30, 32 upwards. And if I'd done that, I wouldn't have got bogged, but I was so uptight. You know, sometimes we conform not, not because we're being sinful or wicked. We just conform because we feel we have to fit in. I'm a, I, I love trout fishing. I don't do it very often, but I love trout. I think they're gorgeous. I love brown trout better than rainbow trout because they've got little spots and every fish is beautiful and different. But trout swim upstream. And the reason they swim upstream is because water is coming to them. And that if they, they, won't, they won't live if they swim downstream. You and I have to swim upstream. We've got to swim against the current, not down with the current. That's how God creates us. 
So our head has to be directed to the source of where the water comes from, not away from the source. For us, it's important that we understand that there's not just sin, but there's other stuff. And I'm, I want to read to you from Hebrews 12.1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that entangles us. It lists two things. Throw off everything that weighs you down and sin that entangles you. This passage is talking about two things. There are, there's sin that is obvious that entangles us. We've got to get rid of that. But there's also a whole lot of other stuff that weighs us down. Now, the word actually <coughs> weigh down the, 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 or hinders is the same word in the Greek that is the word for tumour or mass, weight or burden. You know what a tumour is? A tumour is a set of cells that is uncontrolled and it just starts to grow. There is stuff that happens in our life that just starts growing and we're like a mouse on a, one of those little wheels and we just can't get off the jolly thing. Like we're doing life, but we're not doing life. We're not alive. Life is doing us. It's doing us in. That, uh, no longer are we living. We're not thriving in the way that God wants us to thrive. Where, you know, we have terms like human HR. What is that? Human resources? Human aren't resources? We need to live. I mean, I get it, okay. Like, we need to, we're not machines. We're God breathed. We're meant to be alive. We're meant to be able to look somebody in the face with a glint in our eye as if we're really interested. The greatest thing that you have to offer another person is not your content, not your education, not your money. The greatest thing that you've got to offer somebody is your physical presence. The beginning of the gospel is Emmanuel, God with us. It's called incarnation. We need to be with. But if you don't have life on the inside, it's really hard to be with people. Like sometimes I'm present, but I'm not present. Kathy will say to me, is there, is there anybody in there? <laughs> like my eyes are open. I'm physically present, but I'm not present. You know what I mean? So we have to actually understand the things that entangle us. Let me read to you from um, Hebrews 9, 14. It says, The blood of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit clears our conscience from dead works. Now, what's a dead work? It's religious activity that are about proving ourselves to ourselves. You know, there's a whole lot of stuff that we get involved in which we think we should get involved in. Now, one of the challenges for churches, and I could sense a momentum by the Holy Spirit, one of your greatest challenges that you will have as a church is not to get up in, a, in dead works. We will do this because that church is doing it, so we ought to do it because we should do it, and Alpha Course is awesome, and everyone does Alpha Courses, so we ought to do Alpha Courses. Who cares about what course you do? It's whether it produces something. Well, I love Alpha, by the way, sorry. <laughs> but, you know, the temptation is to find a how-to rather than a person. 
to find a program rather than come alive. So we've got to be careful not to put a facade on things, but really understand that it's life. You know, the, the, the greatest evangelists are new Christians. They are. They lead more people to Christ than anybody. But what do we do? We take a new Christian who's full of passion and energy and, and breaks all the rules and we sit them down and make them do a 10-week course on evangelism so they get the formula right and they never lead anyone to Jesus ever again. I'm exaggerating. I led my brother to the Lord after I got born again and I did, I did what you're not supposed to do. He's talking to him about Jesus and, you know, you, and he's saying, wow, you've changed, what's happening and blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, I'm a child of God. He says, what? How do you know you're a child of God? Because the Bible tells me. And I said, you could become a child of God. He said, how could I become a child of God? God wouldn't, if, if God exists, how would I know that? And I said, because right now, if you, if you ask Jesus to come into your life, he will accept you. God will accept you. He said, well, how will I know? Because this, and I went like that, whoop, and read where my thumb was. Like, you don't do that, do you? You're not to do that. Don't go from church here and do that, will you? So I did this, and I read the, the story of Jesus' baptism where my thumb was. Today, you're my son who I've chosen. I said, see, he chose you today. Said, okay. He got born again, got filled with the Spirit and spoke in tongues. God is more interested in the life that's in your heart than the vehicle that you're traveling with. We've got to get rid of stuff. Look at what the message translation says, nine, uh, Hebrews 9.14. Think how much more the blood of Christ cleanses us of our whole lives inside and out through the Spirit. Christ offers himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all those dead end efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can live out of or live for God. Isn't that amazing? There's a whole stack of stuff. So the second question that you have to ask is, what do you need to say no to? What do you need to stop doing? That is good stuff, but it's not necessary. The passage goes on to say, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word is metamorphous. It means renewing, and it's the same word as renovate. So this is really important. It's not restoration, it's renovate. What do you do when you renovate? You get rid of the old and bring in the new. So you need to start to think in a new way. A new way. A new way. So here's the third question. What do you need to start doing that you haven't done before? The three questions. One, what do you need to keep doing that brings life to your soul? Secondly, what do you need to say no to? And thirdly, what do you need to say yes to that is a new thing that's going to help you think in a new manner? I want to leave you with this passage. I saw this passage in a new way. That's what I love about Scripture. It doesn't change, but the Spirit helps us get deeper insights not different but just Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty 30 says this come to me all you who are weary and burdened or carry heavy burdens 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle. You'll find rest for your souls. It goes on to say that my yoke fits perfectly. I'd never noticed ever, and I've read it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, I'd never noticed that Jesus doesn't say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll take the burden off you. He doesn't. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. I'll put my yoke on you. Now, the image of yoke throughout Scripture, Old Testament, is the anointing of the Spirit. God is not going to get you unstuck by giving you a different car or a different vehicle. He's not going to get you unstuck by taking your responsibilities off you. He's not going to get you unstuck by you dropping everything. But He's going to get you unstuck if you allow a new anointing, a new yoke to come upon you. A new yoke. A new yoke. The Holy Spirit is present. Why don't you close your eyes? Please don't misunderstand. If you're stuck, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. You might be stuck because you're just such a wonderful person, you just say yes to everything.
hands and I want you to think if, if that's comfortable for you. And I want you to begin to worship. I want you to begin, even in your heart, to just thank God, just to focus on Him, to tell Him how much you love Him. Because in worship, that's one of the places that we actually are found by Him. God is looking for those who will worship. If you're lost, just start worshiping and He'll find you. Father, I pray for every person who has their hand in the air, Lord, that you would get them unstuck, that you would get them on the track, back on track, Lord God, that there would be margin for their soul, that they would be able to find things that bring life to their soul, and Lord, that they would flourish in life, flourish in life, and Lord, for new ideas. Lord, I pray for a new yoke, a new anointing. If you would like a new anointing to carry what you're carrying, can you place your hand in the air as well? You need a new anointing by the Holy Spirit. There is a new anointing, a new uh, a yoke that needs to be fitted upon us by the Holy Spirit. Can I get everybody just to stand right now? Just stand, just lift your hands heavenward, just heavenward. Jesus, 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 Jesus. We worship you, God. We bless your name, Jesus. listening. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au. We hope to see you in church again this weekend.